15 or more stops to make in the Word of God this evening. So don't close your Bible after we read a verse. We've got many more verses to read. We're studying together and have been since uh, mid-August. The names and titles of Jesus Christ found in the pages of the Holy Bible. We've come to the letter H. We have seen that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the Holy One. He's the highest. He is the heir. But tonight, Jesus Christ as the hope of Israel. Jesus Christ is the hope of Israel. The Bible says in Jeremiah 14, let's start reading at verse number 7, O Lord, Jeremiah 14, 7, O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake. For our backslidings are many, we have sinned against thee, O the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof in time of trouble, why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land, and as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Why shouldest thou be as a man of stony, as a mighty man that cannot save? Yea, thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us, and we are called by thy name. Leave us not. Father, we ask and pray tonight that you'd lead us, guide us, help us. Show us truth, make us willing to receive it, or find us willing to receive it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just we've got to say this for the thousandth time, got to say it often enough for it to sink in so that you never, never, never forget it. Almost all the error taught in Christian churches today has its root in not understanding the difference between the nation of Israel and the New Testament church. Jesus Christ is the hope of every Christian. But we are looking at him tonight as the hope of the nation of Israel. They are looking to him in this passage as a saving man who dwells in their midst to protect them from famine, from war, from enemies, from disaster. And they are, it's one of those rare occasions where they realize, after all we've done, we don't deserve his help. Because of how we have treated him, because we have, how we have disregarded his law and his commandments, we are not entitled to his blessing, but we are going to hope in him anyway, because we have no other hope. Now consider this passage, and, and we're gonna, we're gonna see what it says, and we're gonna set that over against our experience as Christians in this New Testament age. The Bible says in in Jeremiah 14, verse 7, O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake. Now, the only hope anybody has of being blessed by God is that he blesses for his name's sake. We are not blessed... Because of our, uh, 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 look, add it all up. If I'm blessed, it's because God, by His grace, chose to bless me. I haven't earned it. I don't deserve it. If God blesses Israel, it's because of His grace. They haven't earned it. uh, They don't deserve it. However, my iniquities, I'm saved. Your iniquities, if you're saved, do not testify against us 
They have been fully paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood has blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that is against us. And there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. We do not approach God from a position of fear in, in uh, fear of retribution against us, we approach God in rejoicing and in worship, knowing that Jesus has paid it all. Okay, now, the next phrase. For our backslidings are many, we have sinned against thee. Now, it makes great preaching to preach against backsliding and backsliders, and we all understand the concept as a backsliding heifer. You see this cow going up the, the side of the mountain, and it, it took a little too steep a, of an angle, and it hit a patch of snow, and now it's sliding down the mountain, and that cow really has no way of stopping until it hits the bottom. It's quite a picture of what we see happen to church people all the time. And yet, if you study your Bible... There is never a reference to a backslidden Christian. There is never a warning to a Christian not to backslide. You are in Christ forever. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You can't get outside of Christ. You can't slip from his, from his shoulder to his foot. You are, you are established upon that solid rock and you're not going anywhere. Praise the Lord. Now, that's not always our practical experience, but that is our scriptural reality. Now, Israel, what's their promise? Safety in the land. By the start of one book of the Bible, they're safe in the land. By the end of that book, they're carried away into captivity. You start another book, they're coming back into the land. They sin again, and there they go back into captivity. They would, they would rise, they would fall, they would rise, they would fall, depending upon their national obedience to the commandments of God, that is not Christian experience. Thank the Lord. I am, I am uh, forever saved in Jesus Christ. Now, verse number 8. Oh, the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof in time of trouble, why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land and as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Now, here, here's what he said. If you're an Israelite... God sure can turn away from you, and He has. If you're the nation of Israel and you don't keep His commandments, you don't keep His ordinances, go back there and read Deuteronomy. Here's one chapter, 14 verses of blessings if you obey God, and then about 60 verses of curses that God will put on His chosen people if they don't obey Him. Read the book of Judges. Forty years in captivity, God hears them whining, He sends somebody to get them out of trouble, they're out of trouble for 30 years, they mess up again. Forty years in captivity, over and over and over again, that was their experience. Oh God, sorry, sorry, don't leave. Forget it, I'm out of here. Go down to Chaldea, say how you like that. Go into Babylon, see how you like that. I'll send the Romans in to, to dominate you for a few hundred years, see how you like that. The Christian. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're not in Christ one day and out of Christ the next. The church isn't victorious for, for one decade and then disappears for another decade. And then the, the re-emergent church or the reformed church or the rest of that. No, no, no. Church as organizations of men rise and fall. But the body of Jesus Christ has been just as healthy today and every day as it has been since the day the Lord established it. 
So, so two entirely different groups. Now, verse number nine, why shouldest thou be as a man of stony, as a mighty man that cannot save? Yet thou, O Lord, out of the midst of us, we are, and we are called by thy name, leave us not. So they're asking, don't abandon us, don't forsake us, because you're the only hope we've got. Now that's true of a Christian, it's true of Israel, but we don't have to ask God not to leave. He's not leaving. We don't have to ask God, please don't turn your back on us. We, we're sorry we did that. Of course we're sorry we did that, or we should be. But that was born at Calvary. He carried our griefs, our sorrows, our iniquities, our transgressions, all laid upon Him. Hallelujah. God's not going to punish me for sin for which He already punished Jesus. It's already paid for. It's already punished. Now, the wages of sin is death. God's not going to kill me. You reap what you sow. God's not going to kick me in the head. I'm reaping. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with the consequences of my own actions. But I'll say, oh God, where'd you go? He's right there. Right there to help me as I deal with the mess I made. And the fallout of the mess that I made. Alright, now come to Jeremiah 17. So, Jesus Christ is the hope of Israel. You say, well, I thought it was God. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the New Testament in just a second. All right. Jeremiah 17, verse 12. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed... And they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. Okay, again. Jesus Christ is the hope of the New Testament church, and He's the hope of Israel. But notice the difference. The difference is clear. Verse 13, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed. That's, that's practically true of anyone's life. You don't, I mean, you don't follow the ways of the Lord, you're going to be walking the ways of shame. There's no question about that. And they that depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Hey, Jesus said in John 7, If you'll call on me, I will give you the Holy Spirit he shall be in you rivers of living water springing up, and you'll never thirst again. Now, I can't have indwelling me the fountain, the source of living water, and forsake the fountain. I can't leave the fountain, the fountain's in me. I can't leave the fountain, the fountain abides with me forever. So... The nation of Israel, they have a place where they meet with God. It's that temple. They have a place where they fellowship with the Lord. It's through that altar, one altar in one city. If they get driven out of that land, or their enemies overrun that land, or Muslims build a mosque over that spot, according to their law, they're sunk until God brings them back in the land, drives out their enemies, reestablishes their altar and their priesthood and their worship, because they, they can't get to God any other way. So this isn't the church. This is Israel. 
He's our hope, He's their hope, but our hope's a much, much better, it's a much better practical living reality as, as Christians than it was the nation of Israel. And then verse 14, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for Thou art my praise. And, and look what happens. If you confound Israel and the church, what are you going to do? You're going to have a Christian TV channel, and you're going to put Christian ministers on there, and those Christian ministers are going to tell a Christian audience that if you don't forsake the Lord, He'll heal you. And then you don't get healed. And you redouble your seed faith gift offering and you still don't get healed. And then you turn against God. Because He didn't do what He promised. You can't find any promise of physical healing offered to a member of the New Testament church. Old Testament Israel, their promises are physical. Healing for the physical body in a physical piece of, of earth, uh, given them by God as they obey His commandments. For us, by His stripes we are healed. Not our bodies, our bodies are going to die. Our souls have everlasting life. Okay, so, so what we're trying to do, we're trying to establish that while God is our hope, we're looking tonight at the hope of Israel and their hope is health, safety, peace, prosperity in a promised land in unbroken fellowship with God. That's what they're hoping for. They haven't realized it yet. Come to Acts chapter number 28. Book of Acts chapter 28. Now Paul, long after the revelation of the mystery of the one body, is still preaching to Jews in Acts 28. Peter, the apostle to the circumcision, is dead and buried. Paul's carrying on his work. In Acts 28, verse number 20. Well, let's, let's, let's start at... So much we need to say. Let's start at 16. When we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And it came to pass that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, he said unto them, You know, that soldier, he either got saved or he was begging for a change of duty. Don't you know from the time they got up in the morning to the time they went to bed at night, Paul was witnessing that guy? Just giving him the gospel. Anyway, it says, uh, verse number 17, It came to pass that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and said, I'm sorry, guys, I can't talk to you anymore. <laughs> no, no, he didn't say that. And when they were come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of, for this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Now, that's a strange thing, isn't it? Now, listen carefully. Israel missed out because they, they hoped for peace. They hoped for safety. 
They hoped for prosperity. They hoped for the promised land. They hoped for the establishment of the kingdom. But they didn't hope for the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel was not the promises. It was the one who could fulfill the promises. And Paul said, and he's such a master at drawing in an audience. Paul said, you know, I'm here for the hope of Israel. And they think, oh, so you're for the land. Oh, you're for the promises. Oh, you're for the covenant blessings. And no, I'm for the one who can bring them to pass. See, what Paul recognized was that the hope of Israel was not the things the Lord had promised them. It was the Lord. The Lord was the hope of Israel. And that's why Paul was in prison, not because of Jewish promises, but because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Now watch it in Acts 26. It becomes even even more clear. Acts 26. And we'll start at verse number 1. Acts 26, 1. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. That's known in, uh, in speech class as buttering up your audience. And he's, well, you know, Paul, you know, just trying to puff the guy up so the guy will listen to him. Well, he could have walked in there and called him names and insulted him. But the idea is to get him to listen. So he's, he's uh, speaking as nicely as he can. My manner of life from my youth, which was the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee, and now I stand and judge for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. Okay, look, not for the promise, but for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come. Now, now look, I've got to believe the Holy Spirit in this man is giving this man the words to speak in this hour. You know what he promised his disciples? Don't meditate beforehand. You're called, you're hauled into court for my sake. I'll tell you what to say. Now, now watch what he says. Look at it very carefully. Verse 6. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. Not the promise, the hope of the promise. Now watch. Unto which promise are twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come. You see it? They hoped for the promise. They wanted the promise. He wanted the hope of the promise. Now you see that? He, I, I just, I don't believe Paul thought that up on his own. I believe the Holy Spirit of God is putting the right words in his mouth to write them down. What did Israel want? The promises. Who did they crucify? The hope of the promise. What did Israel long for? Peace and safety in the land. Who did they say, away with this man? The one who could bring it to pass. 
They served the promise. They rejected the hope of the promise. Jesus Christ is the hope. And without the hope, the promises are, are, null, and, are, are null and void. They don't happen. They don't come to pass. All right, now look at verse number, number 8. Or, I'm sorry, 7. For which hopes sake, King Agrippa, I was accused of the Jews. Why should be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Verily I thought myself that I do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, here's what he said. I'm here for the hope. And it, it doesn't bother me a bit that they crucified the hope because God raised the hope from the dead. And I too fought against Jesus when my only interest was our national hope. But once I realized that the hope was Jesus, I trusted Jesus and now you know what? I don't have land, I have a jail cell. I don't have prosperity. I have chains. I don't have peace. You're about to execute me. But I've got the hope. And they don't. You see? The hope of Israel is Jesus Christ. And all the promises God made to their fathers will be fulfilled, but only in and through Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, that's the foundation Bible says Proverbs 9.1, truth rests upon seven pillars. So I'm going to show you the seven pillars upon which Israel's hope rests. D didn't they crucify the hope of Israel? Didn't they say away with this man? Didn't they say not this man but Barabbas? Didn't they say we have no king but Caesar? Didn't they say his blood be on us and on our children? Haven't they for 2,000 years, most of them, as a nation, haven't they said, I don't want Jesus, I'm a Jew? You try to witness to him. No, I'm a Jew. Who cares? Jesus saved you just like he saved me. I don't need Jesus. They reject Jesus because they're a Jew. But in spite of all that, there are seven reasons why that nation will get everything God promised them. Okay? First of all, let's go to Psalm 145 and Isaiah 55. Quickly, we'll just try to read these without a great deal of comment. So that's difficult sometimes. Psalm 145, Isaiah 55. This is called Midweek Bible Study. Just study the Bible. Psalm 145, Isaiah 55. Psalm 145, verse number 8. The Lord is gracious. And full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy, the Lord is good to all. And His tender mercies are over all His works. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, for He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. Okay? Get this. Number one, God's mercy is unfailing. Amen. Now, Christian, that's the only reason we're, we're blessed tonight. But Israel, well, that's what we're talking about tonight. How can Israel still have hope when they've rejected their hope? 
because God is good and God is merciful and the very moment they repent and turn to Him, even if it is in the dying days of the nation's dying hours in the depth of that great tribulation, if they will turn to Him, He will have mercy because that's just who He is. He's a merciful God. Praise the Lord. All right, number two, Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23. Second pillar upon which their promises rest. Joshua 23 verse 14. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. What a, what a nice term for dying. I'm going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. How about that? Therefore, it shall come to pass, that as all good things come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all the evil things, till you have destroyed have destroyed you from off this good land, which the Lord your God hath given you. So he'll do that side as well. Now, here's second second reason. If God makes a promise to bless somebody, sooner or later, he's going to bless them. If God promised Israel good things in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, by their prophets, by their kings, if he he's going to do all of those things. You will not stand before God at the end of your life and say, you didn't keep your promises. He keeps them all. And so, so the second pillar is that God has the power to keep every pledge. I, I, my wife should tell you, when, anytime I hear a, a human being say to another human being, I promise, I just shudder. I tell my wife, I wish they hadn't done that. I never, you've never heard me say to you, I promise. How about that? <laughs> They're watching Chris close. I don't know what he's been up to. All right, so... I, I don't, I don't, you're not going to hear me say, I promise. You'll hear me say, Lord willing. You'll hear me say, I'll try. You'll hear me say, if I can. You'll hear me say, if, if everything works out. But I promise, I can't make you a promise. You can't make promises. You're limited. Circumstances, opposition, health. Finances. There's a thousand things can happen between you and the fulfillment of something you promised. There's nothing. There's nothing going to get in the way of God and the fulfillment of the promises He made to the nation of Israel. He'll keep, he'll keep every single one of them. You, you can just count on it. All right, let's go to Job. Right before Psalms, Job 34. Job 34. Job chapter 34 and verse number 12. Yea, 
Surely God will not do wickedly. Neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. Isn't that great? So, uh, Job 36, same book, Job 36, verse 5. Behold, God is mighty and despiseth not any. He is mighty in strength and wisdom. Okay, now, in this world, you know this is true, in this world, almost everyone who has power over someone else uses that power to their own advantage. They, they might not start out that way, they might not mean to, but, but it's just there's something about the nature of man. If he's got power over another man, he's going to use it to his good. If you ever meet somebody that is, and I know you're not supposed to talk this way in, in modern America, but if you ever meet somebody who's your superior in something, in anything, and they minister to you instead of requiring you to minister to them, that's a rare individual. And you'll say, wow, that, that, that man, that woman, they're not like other people I know. They really, uh, now, but now here's God. Absolute power over every one of us. And yet, He does everything He can do to be the blesser, not the blessed. This thing's entirely one-sided. God gives all the benefits, we receive all the benefits, and maybe if once in a while we do something for God or give Him, you know, a whopping 10% while we keep 90%, we think, wow, I really serve God. <laughs> Come on, the Lord is the, the one with the power in this relationship. And He uses that power for our good. He doesn't use it to exact anything of us. Well, you know that's true. He gives us commandments. We don't keep them, put food on our table. He tells us, don't do that. We do it again. He sends sunshine and rain. God is good. And Israel, after, after thousands and thousands and thousands of years of failure, the Lord sits up there in heaven, watching them go through seven years of Jacob's trouble, saying, come on, come on, come on, just, just call on me, just call on me. I'm ready, I'll come save you, I'll deliver you in a moment, just come on, just call on me. And he whittles them down and whittles them down. Let the devil hack away at them. Let the world attack them until he gets, gets rid of just about all of them. And, and there's just a few left. And, and they say, we got no hope but the Lord. God help. Here I come. Why? Because he uses his power to bless. And he only destroys unwillingly. Those who refuse to be blessed. He wants to, that's what he said, he's good to everybody. He wants to bless everybody. And Israel, just as soon as they're ready to have it, they can have it. All right, number four, Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. Some of us, maybe, maybe you've never done this, but some of us, We've tried to be good to people. They wouldn't have it. We've tried to befriend people. They wouldn't have it. We've been wronged over and over again. We've forgiven and get slapped in the face and forgiven, get slapped in the face. And, and at some point, most of us at some point, we've just drawn a line on a relationship and said, that's it, I'm done. 
I'm not trying anymore. I can't try anymore. The, the cost is too great. The penalty is too high. There's nothing more I can do. I'm finished with this. I'm out of here. Look at look what the Lord says. Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49 and verse 13. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted His people, and will have mercy upon His afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Really? Those walls have been torn down. Again and again and again. You know what the Lord says? In my heart and my mind, they're still right there. They haven't gone anywhere. People have been carried away into captivity, some in Babylon, some in Chaldea, some to the ends of the earth, slaves all over the, all over the world. The Lord said, I haven't forgotten them. I look at the palm of my hand, I see Israel. I look in my heart and I see Israel lying there like a babe in his mother's arms. After all they did to him, after what they did to his beloved son. Come on, they put that crown of thorns on his head. They drove those nails in his hands. They ran that spear in his side. They spit in his face. They mocked him. They blasphemed him. They persecuted. You read that book of Acts. Who persecuted his church? Chased them from town to town to town to kill them, to shut up that preaching about Jesus. You know what the Lord said? I love you like a woman in her right mind loves her newborn baby. After all that... Now, you'd have to be, and the Lord said it can be done, you'd have to be just about completely reprobate through drugs or drink or sin or something to not love a newborn baby. But some people don't. Now, it's one thing to say, that kid's 19, I'm fed up with him. That girl's 25, she's broken my heart for the last time. But a newborn baby has done nothing to you. Right? The Lord compared Israel to a newborn baby. Do you know how much I love you? I love you like you've never done anything to me. How about that? Now, now, again, we're Christians. We're not Israel. But have you ever thought about the term born again? The Lord, the moment you're saved, He loves you like you never did anything against Him. You are you're a brand new baby in His arms. Isn't that amazing? All right, so Israel's hope, the, the, the promises, their promises rest on God's unfailing mercy, God's keeping of His word, God's using of His power to bless, God's... Just incredibly long-suffering love, viewing them as a, as a newborn babe. All right, uh, quickly, let's go to 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23. Number five, he's a God of truth and he will not lie. 
God of truth, and he will not lie. Verse 5, Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. David said, I might not see these things in my lifetime. I might die before they're fulfilled, but God keeps his covenant promises. I'm sure of that. Uh, Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. Don't, don't get tired. You just, it's just paper. You're just turning pieces of paper. They're the words of God. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. But this should be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now, if he promised that, he's going to do it. He's a God of truth, and He will not lie. Okay, to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse number 5. Hebrews 13, 5. Number 6. God will not turn away those that call on Him for help. So I've been away from God for years. I've been, I've been uh, cold against God, been indifferent toward the Lord. I've fallen out, wandered out into sin. He will not turn away those that call on Him for help. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You hadn't seen man doing unto until you see what man is going to do to that nation of Israel in the days that lie ahead. And the moment they call on the Lord, He'll be right there. He'll get on a white horse. He'll put a banner on, says the Word of God. He'll take the sword in His hand. He'll ride down through the heavens. And He'll deliver His people. In one hour and one day, He'll set them free, establish those covenant promises. Hallelujah. All right, Galatians 3 and 2 Corinthians 1. Let's finish up here. Galatians 3. Seventh pillar upon which the promises rest. God is faithful. He will not. Disappoint. Galatians 3, verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. You go to law, you get an attorney, you, you establish a contract, you both sign it, it's set. You can say tomorrow, well, I, 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 didn't, I didn't want to do that. You can say a year from now, that's not what I thought I was getting into. You, you, you've set that thing. Yeah, there it is. It's binding. Verse 16, not Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not in the seeds of many, but as of one, and of thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say. 
that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise, wherefore then serve the law. It is added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the head of mediator. Now mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. So here's what he says. I told Abraham, see those stars? I'm going to give you that many children. See the sands of the sea? I'm going to give you that many children. See that land from the Nile to the Euphrates all the way up to Mount Ararat, everything in between, I'm going to give you that land. Now, 430 years later, God gave the nation of Israel laws to govern their life in the land. They broke them, they broke them, they broke them, they broke them, they broke them. That has nothing to do with the covenant promises. The law didn't change the covenant. Their obeying the law didn't change the covenant. Their disobeying the law didn't change the covenant. God's going to keep the promise He made to Abraham. He's faithful. You can count on him. Now, if he'd do that for a people that have broken his heart for 4,000 years, I don't want you to break his heart for four weeks or for four years, but if you do, he will still keep his word. Your hope on your best day is Jesus Christ. Your hope on your worst day is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is your only hope. See, what people do is say, well, you know, when I'm, when, when I'm doing right, I can go to the Lord because, you know, he, he, but when I'm doing wrong, I, when you're doing wrong, he's the only one you can go to. That's when you've got to go to him. These people talk about, you know, uh, some of you guys work in the jails and rescue missions and people say, well, you know, it's just jailhouse religion. Well, if you wouldn't get on the outside, thank God you got on the inside. Let's get it now. Well, you just turned to God because you got in trouble. Well, it's about time. <laughs> if that's what it took, some people get in trouble and never turn to the Lord. Guys down at the rescue missions, well, they're just coming to for preaching to get a meal. Well, not all of them. Some of them get saved. Some of them get, get their life right and get it straightened out. Amen. Some of you aren't doing stuff you used to do. You can't say, well, you know, they're just fake. Everybody's not fake. You weren't fake. You doing all, some of you are doing all that stuff and more. You're not doing it now. It's Jesus. But you know what? You, you, you start slipping up and you start messing up. You do things you shouldn't do. Well, he didn't stop being true because you're false. He didn't stop being faithful because you're unfaithful. He didn't lose his love for you just because you got cold on your love toward him. He's the hope. And if he's the hope of Israel after all they've done, he can sure be your hope. All right, so... Finish up. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The hope of Israel is Jesus Christ. Israel hoped in the promises, not the one who could fulfill the promises. And that's where they went wrong. But here's what the Bible says. Verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea. And in him, amen, 
unto the glory of God by us. Can you see that? That's what Israel missed. Christian, it's for you, it's for them, but tonight we're talking about, about them, the hope, the hope of Israel. Look, where are the promises brought to pass? In Jesus Christ. What did they want? They wanted the promises without Jesus Christ. Until they want Jesus Christ, they don't get the promises. As soon as they want Jesus Christ, they get the promises. See that? Okay, a little practical for Christians so, so we, we can understand this. You know what the world wants? You'll hear it. You're going to hear it a hundred times in the next week. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's what they want. They'll sing it in their songs and put it in their greeting cards. They'll hang it from the lampposts. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's not what the angel said. The angel said, glory to God in the highest and on earth earth peace, goodwill toward men. They want peace. They don't want God. They want goodwill among men. They don't want God. They want the promises. They don't want the one who can fulfill the promises. And so they don't get what they want. So, Jesus Christ is the hope of Israel. And when Jesus gets back, everything God promised Israel, they will enjoy a thousand years and more. Praise the Lord. Now, if you get nothing else from a Bible study like this, next time you read something in the Bible directed to you, just remember, God keeps His promises. And just remember, He keeps them in Christ. It's not what I do for God, it's Christ. It's Christ. He's the the fulfillment of all the promises. All right, let's pray together, and then we'll be dismissed. I hope everybody takes some time to greet our visitors. If you're with us tonight for the first time, or second time, or, you know, know, uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, We just, we love the Lord. We try to sing His praise, tell Tell everybody we can about him uh, in every way we possibly can. Get together and study his word, fellowship together. And if we can be of help and blessing to you, we'll try our best to do so. Amen. All right, Brother Jed, dismiss us in prayer if you would, please.